Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest on this episode, Mitch Light, this episode was recorded on Monday afternoon. We thank our presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire offers personal and professional development opportunities in a beautiful facility in the Gulch neighborhood. Stop by for an event with world-renowned speakers or host an off-site event that will wow your team or your clients. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Well Coffee House, which turns coffee into water and has a mission to bring clean water to the world. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. Well, big blow to Vanderbilt football. Receiver C.J. Bowler has hit the transfer portal. Bowler has played a valuable role on the team before, came up big as a freshman in 2018, and now will transfer out, even though he had a chance to earn a starting role this year. Our guest line brought to you by Bowling Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I didn't know what I was missing until I got Bowling Branch sheets. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins me now. Mitch is with the Athletic Nashville. Mitch, hope you are doing well. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. Doing very well. Um, yeah, it's going to make a joke about same day, you know, everything, every day being the same day. Someone asked me on Slack today, work, how was your weekend? And I was like, really don't know what a weekend is now anymore. But uh, um, so, but things are good. Can't complain. Yeah, there's been, I guess, a little more news in the off time than I thought there would be. There was the basketball commitment of Tyron Lawrence last week. There was the apparent departure of C.J. Bowler today as he's entered the transfer portal. Let's start with the Lawrence commitment and your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously good. They needed to add a player, needed to add a guard, especially, you know, with Saban Lee apparently gone. And, you know, you do a little digging. And I talked to a few people, recruiting people I know. He seems to be a, you know, a, a late rising or emerging player who kind of bet on himself, didn't have many offers coming out of high school and then went to a, uh, you know, did a prep school. So um, for some reason, he's left-handed. I was like left-handed guards for some reason. Thinking back to the Frank Secker days, I guess is Max Evans is lefty too. Yeah, Max Evans is lefty. Um, so it seems like he's got some decent size. So uh, a good piece there. And, uh, you know, de- like I said, definitely needed to, to add a guard. Um, so, uh, sorry, I, I kept getting these texts in my computer so i'm shutting that off so uh, yeah uh, good news for for jerry stackhouse and his staff i guess was thinking of lefties i was has a, having this conversation i think with seabass last last week the two that you mentioned are the two that i'm thinking of in secker and evans i can't think of too many more but it seems like i'm leaving somebody out i'm willie sure Don- i am willie donick we are leaving someone out for sure yes um yeah um I always like lefty big guys because there's a theory that they're harder to get their shot blocked because big guys are just intuitively used to blocking shots from righties. Um, I can't think of any left-handed post players. Was Shelby Moats left-handed? 
I think maybe. Yeah. Okay. There's one. Not, um, not a lot. I mean, it's. I guess um, lefties are what ten percent of the population. You know, there's more in basket in baseball because of the specialty of being a left-handed pitcher and a left-handed bat. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we're missing some. Um, you know who? Might have been a lefty. One one of the random guards that Stallings signed in the mid-teens that didn't work out. The kid ended, ended up transferring to uh, Towson. Do you remember him? Uh, in which era Charles, again? Charles. Uh, it was a late signee. Oh, I can't think of his name. It'll it'll it's bothering me, but uh, I'll think of it. Um, he ended up like transferring to to, to Townsend and having one decent year, maybe. What year was this? Mid two thousand, like maybe. Um, year, you, I'm trying to think of guys. I can't remember. It who might have been the year they signed Festus because I remember they signed two guys very late. Charles. Charles Hinkle. Yes. Was Towson where he wound up? I think so. Okay. I, I was thinking of AJ Astroff, but that was, I think, two or three years after that. Yes. Yeah. So, as an aside, I remember once Stallings telling me, you know, clearly that was a year that they went after some big guys, like biggest, like top 50 ish guys, and kind of whipped on them all and had to scramble. I just remember Stallings saying, I saw AJ Astroff play one game. He went like seven for seven from three, got him on campus. He's like, the guy can't hit a three pointer. Astroff, was he the guy that scored? Big time, and I think at like American University. Might have been him. It might have been Hinkle. I'm I'm looking up Hinkle right now. One of those I guys thought. like went on to a very unexpected yes, big Hinkle. career. Astroff okay. went off to Townsend and did nothing. Hinkle played two years at Vanderbilt. Um, two points per game, one point four points per game. Then I forgot this. Went to American. His first year there, four point five points per game, and then averaged eighteen point four his senior year. Bigger surprise to 18.4. I was going to say bigger surprise of that or of what Larry Austin did last year or two years ago or whatever it was. The thing about Austin was he was a really good athlete and I could see him at that level, just using his kind of strength, compact body to get to the lane and, and, you know, get past people. Um, I just, you know, I don't remember, not that I remember Charles Hinkle's game that well, but I, that, that was more, but both surprising, but, uh, but that's two cases where clearly like, it wasn't like, Oh, Larry Austin, that was a tough loss for Vanderbilt. He really could have helped. Like he wasn't going to average, obviously he wasn't going to average 18, like he did at central Michigan. He wasn't going to average eight points a game if he played big time minutes at Vanderbilt. Yeah. I mean, neither of them were expected. The Hinkle one. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I guess the difference would be at least Hinkle had a red shirt year, and then some guys come on junior and senior year. Whereas with Austin at that point, you kind of thought you knew what they had. Yeah, been four of, years, four years at two different colleges and hadn't done it. Right, right. Uh, but either way, neither of them were <laughs> were anything we were expecting. Okay, I never expected to talk this long about Charles Hinkle yeah, and AJ he did not Astroff. Make top one hundred, did he? No, they, they were conspicuously left out of the top one hundred, which we will get to in just a minute. Uh, let's talk the bowler thing first. Your thoughts on his loss, because I think that one stings a bit. Yeah, it, it does, because I think uh, you know they liked him a lot his freshman year, and he started as a true freshman was an early enrollee I think was a little bit of a surprise that they you know contributed more than they thought and he was hurt a lot last year 
And I just, you know, I just didn't know that was a consideration at all. And I think because I've been diving into football a little bit more, I'm working on a preview that we're going to be running the athletics soon. And, you know, for, for a lot of the issues this team has, there is some talent at wide receiver. Um, but losing bowler hurts because I think a healthy bowler would have been a an impactful player. And they're going to need some wide receivers because I don't want to give away my, my preview too much because I've been working on it and diving in. I think I got a lot of good stats. But at Louisiana Tech last year, Todd Fitch had six players, six wide receivers catch at least 20 passes. Four caught at least 40 passes. Vanderbilt had two wide receivers with 20 passes, with 20 receptions. So they're going to need some wide receivers to step up. Uh, one thing, Louisiana Tech did not have a tight end catch a pass last year. But I talked to Fitch the other day for my story, and he said, I can and will use tight ends, multiple tight ends. He thinks there's some young – like I was really impressed with, uh, with Bresnahan last year, really good hands. I think – and he's kind of a athletic tight end, I think. I think they will use tight ends this year, so that maybe don't need as many wide receivers as they use at Louisiana Tech. But this one, this hurts. And, you know, there's just not as many impactful college football transfers. Like I was thinking, losing Devin Cochran this year and C.J. Bowler, that's two guys who, you know, starting caliber guys that Vanderbilt's losing. I can't remember over the years Vanderbilt losing very many guys that you're like, that one hurts. Uh, you know, that's a guy that would have started or would have played. It's just it doesn't happen nearly as much in football as it does in basketball. No, unfortunately for them, that's two on one side of the ball in the same year, two guys who would have started. Right. But yeah, I'm right. thinking of who would benefit most from this. I think Devin Body was playing some in the slot. They're um, going to use Cam Johnson a lot in the slot. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember whether Cam uh, – he's done both, and I couldn't remember where they were going to use him this year. This singled him out to me is Cam Johnson is a guy who's kind of ideally suited to play the slot in, in his system. Well, I think Cam was probably, my guess, going to lead the team in catches yes. anyway. Yes. Bresnahan is a guy that comes to mind just because I think those targets have to go somewhere else, and he's a tight end who I think can get open a bit. Uh, Body, if he uh, – you know, that, that – leeches a domino effect or unleashes a domino effect to where somebody's going to get that playing time. He was a guy that I think was a second teamer uh, that could could play that pass catching role for them. Amir Abdul Rahman is kind of a different type of receiver. Yeah. But I think he's one again, the targets don't necessarily go to that same spot. And of course he was, I think, coming off injury and I don't know that he was completely himself in the spring, but that's one too. I keep thinking that's a real talent they have, and once he gets further removed from the injury issues, he's one that I think we'll see more. Uh, that's that's not one. I don't think that's an injury that breaks them. No. Because I think I, yeah. those other guys are – frankly, I think that Johnson and Ramon and, and Bresnahan are all more talented than he was, but it's the thing that I always say with injuries – it's the next one that you worry about because that's where your depth starts to get impacted. And if they get another significant one somewhere, I think that's not that you don't miss Bowler anyway, but I think that's where it really takes effect if that happens. Right. And it just might change the way they he wants Fitch wants to play. Like he might, you know, I, I know, um, I think it's uh, Justin Ball, the, the that's the name, the, the the redshirt freshman from DC, the big kid, big tight end. Is that his name? Yes. Yeah, they like him, and you know, so that you you might see more. 
two tight end sets than you know uh, than you normally would if they don't have as many wide receivers. Like another thing, Fitch told me is like very difficult thing for the defense to defend is if you can get tight ends, multiple tight ends on the field and get and, and spread the field. So basically, just like your athletic tight ends, guys like Bres- Bresnahan. Um, so uh, again, it's just not not a not a killer, but not uh, not uh, not not ideal. I felt like where spring ended, I was just getting in the flow of figuring out who was where and who was going to be used. Ball, I think I saw, I don't know that he got a lot of targets, but I remember him more from one of their prospect camps. And when kids stand out as prospects that aren't commitments, those are the guys that kind of catch my eye. He was that. He was at their prospect camp, I guess it was two summers ago, wasn't committed. I remember looking at him and thinking, I don't know what he is. But he's a big kid who can run a little bit. He's not a blazer or an elite athlete, but a guy that size who can move kind of catches your eye. And that's kind of what I remember about him. So to hear that Fitch is thinking of using him in that role to me is interesting, but not completely surprising either. Yeah, Fitch told me he said I every offensive snap of spring for practices, we had at least one tight end on the field. He's like, because we have good depth there. And he said, we want to get we wanted to get a look at those guys. So that's not saying they will have a tight end on the field on every snap. It's just every snap in those four practices they did. Cause they, he, he wanted to see different ways he can utilize them. Um, so, you know, speaking of previews and getting a read on things, I've written a Vanderbilt preview story for, you know, 18 straight years at, at the athletic. And now I'm doing this one for, I mean, at Athlon doing this one for the athletic for a lot of reasons. This is the one I feel like as far as just personnel, I have uh, the least, you know, feel at least feel less sure about a lot of things just because there really wasn't a spring practice and there's two new coordinators. Uh, now the defensive depth charts relatively easy to fill out because there's so many guys coming back. Uh, but you know, usually, usually between spring practice, between being over there and talking to people, I'm a pretty good feel of things this year. Not, not nearly as much. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I think if you get to see six, seven, eight spring practices, like I usually do, Except for last year, I feel like you get usually a feel. Like I said, I was kind of right on that edge of where I was starting to figure things out, uh, but but not quite there yet. And and especially when, like a lot of times, a guy's hobbled for a couple of days or misses a practice because of a class or something like that. I guess that's not, not as common. But in other words, like if there's four practices and somebody misses two, that's half a practice. So disproportionate impact at that point of things. But um Anything else on football or basketball before we maybe run through the Vandy Sports 100 for a minute? Um, not really. I mean, we'll have all you know preseason, and ho- hopefully there is a preseason to talk football. But if you're looking for you know potential bright spots, I really think you know the defensive line with with Langham and, and Derek Green being eligible this year, um, and then another year of Davion Davis, and yeah, they got some veterans there. You know, last year Derek Mason talked about a lot about adding size in the defensive line, and that all sounded good. Two of those guys weren't eligible. One was a true freshman. This is kind of the year, if it does come to fruition, that we'll see it, that that, you know, more SEC caliber bodies on the defensive line. Yeah, and I'm thinking if it's typical Vanderbilt, it's more like next year where those guys really become players. Um, It's hard for guys to have impact as redshirt freshmen. At Vanderbilt, typically that doesn't happen, but I think they will be better. Third year. Well, know. yeah, Langham will be green. Green, maybe not as much. And I'm, I'm thinking right. also of a guy like Elijah McAllister, 
who's flashed some things. Yeah, he's got to keep weight on. He's got to get weight. You know. Yeah, just... that's that's the thing. But that that guy, like juniors and seniors, and especially redshirt juniors and redshirt seniors, typically at Vanderbilt are where you see those type guys make an impact because what they have to do, they don't get the four and five star kids out of high school. What they do is get players. And maybe by the third year on campus, they are playing a backup role and contributing a little bit. And then maybe they start as juniors and seniors. Uh, so I'm just thinking, you know, maybe yeah. these guys talent-wise are better, which they probably are, but typically that's how it's gone down. Yeah, and, and I mean, the defensive roster, especially the linebacker, it's just, you know, everybody on the, is a third and fourth or fifth-year guy. There's so much experience in the secondary. Some of the guys are, you know, second, third year in the program, but they've all played a ton. So, you know, going through this, and probably spending more time on football than we thought, there's a lot of reasons to be really pessimistic. I mean, if you just look at what the team was last year and what they have coming back, I get it. That's the obvious. But if you look at it and say, if the two coordinators, if the, if Derek Mason really made the right hires at coordinator and you just say between the lack of leadership and the poor play at quarterback and the play calling wasn't imaginative enough or whatever term you want to use, if you just say, okay, the, the, the you know, Fitch is going to find a better way to utilize the players they have, minimize the weakness of the offensive line, and then defensively bring in uh, you know, uh, Ted Roof with all the experience and better defensive line. That, that's where you see the, the potential to, to overachieve or exceed expectations. There, there, there is a not crazy path to, to being better than we think. Well, there's another part of this that I think is maybe as big as the personnel. And it's what I'll call, for lack of a better term, the, the spoiled food hypothesis or whatever, which is like if you have spoiled food, in your fridge, it makes the whole thing stink. And when a season just kind of goes wrong to yeah. where it transcends the talent like it did last year, once you you clean the fridge out, the next season tends to be better. A lot of times, even if on paper, uh, there's no reason to think that. So that's kind of the thing that I'm watching for next year. Like, I think if they surprise, that's where I think maybe you can explain a lot of it. Yeah, and I don't want to read any too much into anything, but you know, just and I first time I've ever talked to Todd Fitch in my life. Uh, but I asked him about the offensive line, and he just he mentioned twice the camaraderie and the chemistry on the offensive line. Um, and I I don't think it was a shot at anyone, but maybe just new coach, you know, Cameron Norcross maybe wasn't popular with the guys. Rosamondo maybe is. So you know, there's little things where you just think the leadership and the chemistry could be better. And you're, you're right. I mean, college football, not just at Vanderbilt, everywhere. It's such a difficult grind that if things don't go well early and you don't have great leadership, then things can go really bad. And a couple, you know, I used to, I've said many times that one of the things that Derek Mason has done well is keep teams together. Now that wasn't the case last year, but his two bowl teams needed to rally late and beat, you know, rivals, you know, Ole Miss and Tennessee in back-to-back games and did so twice. So he has been able to keep teams together. Last year, that team, for a lot of reasons, just limped to the finish line. Yeah, I don't know what happened exactly with Norcross, but that got to be a bad situation. Cochran, I think that had something to do with him leaving. And I have been told they were going to lose another starter if they were going to have the same line coach. And I don't know how much that would have hurt them. I don't know. Nobody played well, frankly, last year, and I question if they have the talent. It wasn't um, wasn't either the tackles; it was somebody inside. But uh, just kind of another 
yeah. piece of evidence that things weren't totally right last year. Yep. Let's go to the Vandy Sports 100. I think you and I talked about Riley the Chance and Adam Butler. I discovered, actually, after I talked to you, a mistake in my list where I had listed one player uh, on the list ahead of them twice. So I thought I had 100 players on the list, so I only had 99, actually. What I've done is I've adjusted by bumping Justin School in the list to 100, putting everybody else up. So here's what I've revealed so far. Number 89, Hayden Stone, 90, Jordan Rogers, followed by Taylor Hill, Caesar Nicholas, Brian Stamper, Spencer Pulley, Rashard Langford, Mike Baxter, Bruno Reagan, Adam Butler, Riley the Chance, and Justin School. Mitch, this portion of the list has been harder for me to rank, probably than the top portion, which I guess is not surprising. But your thoughts on what I've come up with so far? Yeah, you need to give next for next week. Send me an updated list. I think I had an outdated one, so because I was following the spreadsheet and mine were a little different. Um, well, I will tell you what I I switched today. Uh, my my thing has kind of been let's get the the last ones right in order. As I'm going down the list, I'm looking in those a little bit more. I literally had somebody else written up at 89, uh, and the more I wrote about this guy, I thought, man, I underrated him. So I redid my list and move that player up and move Stone down a little bit just because I think the guys that are right in front of him had a a, a more um, a longer impact. So I, I do tend to shuffle these right as I'm getting up to the names to release because I do two every day. So that's what happened. Okay. Um, well, you know, I, I, we've talked about – I think Stone is an, a difficult and interesting guy to rate because he has he, – he impacted a championship season more than – you know, almost everyone on this list, you know, except, you know, except for some of the obvious ones. He was a top five contributor on a national championship team. Now, he only had one good season, but that season was was incredible. Um, so, uh, you know, no problem with him being anywhere. I think Taylor Hill was one of them, right? Yeah, Hill was 91 and I actually yeah. moved him up. You and I talked privately yeah, before I, I wrote I, I this was out. Yeah, I Hill camp, so yeah. I, maybe I helped uh, that argument. There. I just thought a really solid innings eater throughout his career who had a very good senior season. Um, so, um, Caesar, was Caesar Nicholas another one? Yeah, Nicholas was 92. Back And back to Hill for a second. Actually, when I looked him up in more detail, he pitched really well on the SEC his last two years, so I'm confident – uh, that that one, I mean, you're never right for sure on any of it, but I, I feel pretty solid about that one the more I researched it. Nicholas was 92, and Nicholas, man, he, he had a – his career numbers were better than I thought they were, but the big thing with him was he was maybe the biggest bat outside Warner Jones on that team that got to the first Super Regional – well, the first NCAA tournament since 1980. Yeah, definitely a uh, you know uh, uh, in an era when there weren't a lot of sluggers, he, he was a you know a slugger, um, great teammate, great guy by all accounts. Uh, one of the you know the the co- pillars of the early Corbin era. So that that's that's a good call right there. Um, Jordan Rogers was one that's um, polarizing only because. I think if you asked members of James Franklin's offensive staff, he would not be on this list. But if you asked Vanderbilt fans, he'd be higher. It, it's hard. It's hard to to discount a guy that um, 
did, you know, basically took Vanderbilt to to two bowl games and, and won a lot of games as a starting quarterback. Was it was a quarterback for a nine and four team um, that that broke through and had one of the best years and you know seasons in in eighty some years the school probably. So um, I he's clear, he clearly should be on this list. Um, I don't know um, what what. I, I think that staff thought that he got too much credit for, for the turnaround that year. They put him as the starter. That's the only thing, you know, was he a great quarterback? No, uh, he was limited, but he, he made a lot of winning plays and he was a tough kid and, and could run, could move. And I, I, I was always impressed by him. Yeah. Rogers, I think will be one of the most polarizing guys on the list. I already got some feedback and I'm, I welcome it. Somebody said, well, I think that, Adam Butler was a better player, and Stephen Weatherly, too. Weatherly did not make my top 100. He was a tough one because he didn't really do much to contribute towards winning, which wasn't his fault. Uh, but those were guys that um, maybe did more in the NFL than they did at Vandy. I thought Butler deserved to be on the list because defensive linemen just aren't going to put up stats, and if you can make the Patriots right out of Vandy for three years, that tells me something about your talent. But you know, I understand people's reservations with Rodgers, but quarterback is the toughest position in sports, probably. And yeah. so if you're an okay quarterback or a good one, you're probably going to have more value than a great player at other spots and throw in winning, which he won a lot. And the other thing with him, you mentioned the running. I think so much quarterback value in mobile quarterbacks, it's not the rushing numbers they put up. It's the third and sixes they convert. I thought that Jordan really was able to do a lot of those in situations where they needed it. I just felt the total package with him. Yeah, you you can put him down and and you know, like you said, the coaching staff might not agree with it, but man, they, they won a lot of games. He won more than about any quarterback in our lifetimes at Vandy. It, probably more than any of them. So to me that all counts for a lot. Bottom line, if you've been to, you know, two bowl games at Vanderbilt starting quarterback, you know, there's pretty much I don't know. No one else had Kyle Shermer and in in, in, uh, in in Jordan Rogers are the only two that have been to multiple bowl games as starting quarterback. I'll tell you, Brian Stamper was another tough one. That was kind of a dart throw. Uh, he was a second team All SEC player as a sophomore, I think, and was preseason first team heading into his junior year. Then he got hurt. Uh, but, you know, playing tackle, and he's got the school record for games played, and I think he started all of them or almost all of them, too. That, that to me, there was a pretty good volume of work in there. Of course, injuries wrecked his career a bit, and that's one we have to, to look way back, and pro football focus wasn't around to analyze players. So that's one of those, well, to me, I think he probably belongs at the bottom end of the, the top 100 I really don't know where, but that's one I had an issue with. But I, I think he belongs, but who knows? Yeah, I, you know, of all the guys we talked about, for some reason, I just I, – I remember the name. I don't remember him that well. I don't know why. Just teams weren't very good, and whatever reason, I just um, – but, uh, you know, you compare him. You, you've got Justin School and Spencer Pulley on this list. Both guys are – you know, saw some time in the NFL. Obviously, Justin School started a bunch of games for a team that went to the Super Bowl – he was forced into a starting position as a true freshman at Vanderbilt and then really did a good job his last, you know, few years was a very good um, left tackle on some, some good offenses. You know, his last year, Vanderbilt had a really good offense. So he, he definitely deserves to be on here. 
you know, Rashard Langford, I thought was a very good defensive player on some, you know, some solid Bobby Johnson defenses and, and good leader. I think he might have played in the NFL just a little bit. So uh, I was always a big Rashard Langford fan. Yeah, Langford played two years with the Chiefs. I was yeah. a reserve. Pulley, pro football focus started grading players his junior year. Uh, from all Vanderbilt players from 2014 on, he had the best single season grade of anybody other than what Keyshawn Vaughn did in 2018. Interesting. Yeah, I did not realize Pulley was that good when he played. But again, that's one of those where if he can play in the league and start, then that gets my attention. You know, at Vanderbilt, if you're if you're on Vandy to begin with, it's hard to get attention, hard to get SEC votes. Throwing playing on the line, it's doubly hard because that's where you're just kind of anonymous. But I felt like with all that, the body of work, he probably belonged in there. Yeah, no arguments here at all. Yeah, the, the ones coming up, uh, the list is about to, I think, have a pretty heavy baseball presence. Baseball, not surprisingly, more players represented on the list from baseball than any other sport. But again, it's about winning. Yeah, and, you know, obviously there's 22 stars in football, but there's, there's um, you know, there's there's a lot of baseball players when you have pitching and nine field or eight fielders, and then, like, the teams won a lot. So that that's clearly, uh, I would expect, to, to be a heavy, heavy dose of baseball coming up. Mitch, anything else to talk about before we let you go today? No, we continue to find things to talk about, even though there's no sports. So that that's impressive. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, this list has been fun to talk about. And, you know, there's uh, a little bit of football and basketball news coming in. So, uh, yeah, I think we covered it all. I think across the next few weeks, there's going to be more ratings by more sports websites than at any time in the history of sports journalism. Yeah, yeah, I know. We just had a call, uh, all our editor call at Athletic, and we, you know, still have a lot of a lot of plans, a lot of stuff coming down the pike at the Athletic. But uh, obviously, we need games at some point, relatively soon. Well, you guys do a good job with it. Tell people where they can find your stuff. Tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Well, at Twitter at, at Mitch Light, and uh, you know, the Athletic Nashville, a uh, bunch of you know, obviously a lot of Titans, Predator stuff, and I'm working on a big Vanderbilt story that I'll have. Uh, Next week, I mean, Vanderbilt football story won't be out for a couple couple weeks or a month, but then a Vanderbilt baseball-ish story coming in the next week or so. He is Mitch Light of The Athletic. I'm Chris Lee, the host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We thank Mitch for being on today. And just to let you know, we plan to have several more episodes up later in the week, so please continue listening. Thank you for doing so.